Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All righty, guys. All Facts Media is here, and we are happy to bring you guys another episode of the Auto Bid. Today, we have a special, special guest. We have a Mac reunion today on the Auto Bid. We have former rider, former rider superstar, former rider standout, current WNBA guard, Stella Johnson, is live on the Auto Bid today. So, Stella, man, thank you for coming on with us today. Thank you. Happy to be on with you guys. No doubt, no doubt, man. We have definitely a lot to discuss, man. And um, we know it's been a long, long journey, obviously, from Ryder now to the WNBA with the mistakes and everything. So, um, but for, for, for the viewers out here that may not be familiar with you, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got to Ryder and um, just kind of, I guess, how you obviously got to where you are today. Um, so, you know, I've been playing basketball forever. Um, actually, I started playing soccer first, but um, continued basketball throughout high school, played AAU, and, you know, Ryder was my only college offer. So, you know, I kind of, not like I had to, but I liked the school, but I kind of had the, it was my only choice to go to college here. So, you know, I embraced it. Um, and I just worked hard. You know, it's different having, being on campus with a gym available rather at home than having to drive somewhere. So, you know, I just loved going to the gym, walking from our dorm every morning. And then um, I just worked with my coaches and, you know, hard work paid off and finally got a chance at the WNBA. So, like, I'm still working my way in there. So, Now, you know, as someone who was, who was from New Jersey, played at Morris Catholic, I mean, what did it mean for you to have Ryder, you know, a hometown school, kind of be the only school to, to offer you scholarship and be able to be able to play at home for, for four years? Oh, um, funny thing is I didn't even know Ryder was in Jersey when I first did uh, my official visit. So I had no idea. Like, it's right down the street from Princeton. Um, when I first came here, and I was like, what state are we in? And I was like, Jersey. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, I didn't know it was down here. But um, it's it was actually cool. Like, I thought I would want to be away from home, like, at least a couple hours. But, you know, being close to home, uh, being able to go home on the weekends and see my family, I think that, like, made my experience so much better. So, loved it. Now, kind of talk to us about your, your game and kind of how your game kind of transformed, um, you know, through your through your career at Ryder, you know, the first four years from obviously, you know, being at Quinnipiac and being able to watch you. Um, it seemed like from the outside looking in freshman year, you were kind of like, you know, like like high defensive player that kind of was just kind of did all the little things. And then by the time your career blossomed, you know, you were a 2,000 point scorer and definitely getting getting a lot of buckets. So kind of talk about, you know, your, your journey, why you were at Ryder, how your career kind of progressed um, and kind of how you kind of grew from your freshman year to your senior year. Um, freshman year, like you said, I was just defense. You know, I was on the court to stop the best player. 
Um, and I was known for like my steals and just doing like little points and, you know, rebounding and stuff. And I think it kind of transitioned my sophomore year because uh, Robin left and she was a leading scorer and she got hurt in the middle of the season. So like it was up to Julia Duggan and Cammy. So like it was just like no other scorer. So that's when I started to step up at the end of the season and my freshman year. But sophomore year, I think that's when it like, I went up, like my confidence went up and they seemed that I could actually play at the college level and score at the college level. Um, this brought my confidence all the way up. And so um, and that's my coach is doing that too. I had a assistant coach that left and he just like, I can do this. And he just like, he worked with me every day to score and get my shot better because I could not shoot at all my freshman year. <laughs> I had a broke shot. And then all of a sudden, sophomore year, it was just like, it was getting, I was getting more in the flow too, so. Now, what did it mean to you, you know, a kid from Jersey, didn't have any Division One offers, um, and then uh, Tilly Ryder came in, and then four years later, you were the only Division One player in the country to have 2,000 points, 700 rebounds, 400 assists, and 300 steals. I mean, you know, what, what does that say about your journey, the work that you put in? I mean, what, just what did that mean to you, especially being able to do that, you know, at, at a school, you know, in your state? Um, I think I got a lot of more recognition and respect from a lot of people. Um. You know, I didn't come into high school. I mean, going to college and like being like ESPN top 100 or anything. And uh, I was kind of under the radar. So people starting to know my name and uh, starting to prove to the coaches around the country and college D1 level that like like mid-major players need to be respected. So like, um, and a lot of the girls now, they ha think they have to go to, you know, the high D1 to get recognition from, you know, professional, co um, professional coaches. But if you just work every day in and out on the weekends, you know, you don't want to wake up on the weekends um, that you'll get there. You'll, you can achieve anything you want to. And I think junior year, I was just like, you know, I'm going to get up early, do two days and just get better. Cause I also wanted to win a championship because um, Ryder never won a championship before, you know, Queen Piac always got that. So <laughs> that's what I want to do. <laughs> Now, I mean, it's actually funny that, that you mentioned that because, you know, we definitely wanted to ask you about that. I mean, obviously, you know, your, your first three years, um, you know, Quinn P.I. kind of had had the reign over the Mac. But last year, you know, you guys actually had a, a pretty good good shot, you know, at winning it. Obviously, um, before COVID kind of came in and makes and kind of anything. So talk about what, what that moment was like kind of having your career ending, ending that way. Because obviously, me and my brother, obviously, were also in the we, – we were actually at Coppin State that year playing, and mm. our season got ended right before our conference tournament, too. Uh, but for you, man, just walk us through that moment, man, like kind of when you found out that you guys weren't going to have the opportunity to finish the season and kind of what was going through your head when you realized, all right, man, like my college career is, is over at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it was like February. Like I'm like a not a germaphobe, but like I'll be scared about like if the world's going to end or something like that. And I started first hearing about COVID coming in February. And I was like, oh, it's not going to reach us. Our government's too good for that. And I was like, okay, yeah. And then we had our last game. And then I didn't even know that was going to end our season. Like, I thought it was just like, you know, whispers and stuff. But it was just crazy how you wake up the next morning ready to go to shoot around. And they canceled it. NCAA canceled, not even the MAC. NCAA canceled the whole thing. So it was just crazy how we have a, we won the game. We're thinking we're about to go on to the next game and then having our hearts crushed as seniors because, you know, this is the year that we were going to actually win our first championship. But it was kind of, it was kind of hard, you know, my teammates like brought in this year. So like, they were like pretty like, you know, distraught and everything. So was I, but um, 
you know, we were just like happy what we accomplished and wish we accomplished more. But I mean, we had one of the best records in program history. And, you know, Mari got Defensive Player of the Year. Um, and we just had a lot of uh, firsts in this program that we were happy about still. But, you know, obviously we want to hit the championship. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you go from your season ending, um, nobody knows what's going to happen with, with the WNBA draft. And obviously the draft process that year was extremely unconventional. Um, you entered, you, you got picked in the third round. But then, if I'm not mistaken, there, there was no training camp, I'm, I'm pretty sure, last year. So it was, you know, a lot of rookies were getting cut because they didn't have the opportunity to come to training camp. I mean, mm-hmm. what was the whole process like going, going through that, through COVID, you know, not having a training camp, having to kind of get acclimated with the WNBA, you know, so unconventionally? Yeah, it was weird. Um it was so weird. You know, I got picked by Phoenix and uh, we had like a couple um, Zoom calls and everything. But like, I think all the rookies, unless you were first round, all the second round and third round people were like, okay, we're probably going to get cut because they never had the chance to see us. And I was really upset about it because like, if I had the chance to, you know, go there, I'd probably have a better uh, run at it. Um, so they didn't get a chance to see me. So I can't be upset about that. But I was grateful enough for Chicago um, Coach Wade to call me. Um, like a week before the bubble started that like he wants to give me a chance at a hardship contract um, until another player recovered from COVID. So I thought that was like a great chance. And I wouldn't have gotten the chance with the Mystics if I wasn't in the bubble. So it was just, you know, props to my agent and um, just for them giving me a chance to get through the bubble and experience it. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think this is a perfect, perfect segue to my next question for you, because obviously, you know, last year in the bubble, um, you know, you got your first career start with the Mystics and, and scored 25 points. I mean, for a player that's, that's coming from a mid-major like Ryder, um, you know, being weighed by Phoenix, being weighed by Chicago, talk us through like that game. Like, if you remember, what do you remember from that day, you know, maybe when you woke up and obviously what that moment was like afterwards when you're like, dang, you know, I just scored 25 points in the WNBA. Like, what was that whole moment like for you? Um, it was crazy because I knew I was going to get a uh, wave by Chicago soon because the player came back and another player got hurt. So they kept me on for longer. So I was like, any day now that like I was going to get waved. So, you know, I was kind of missing my family. And I was like, you know what? I wouldn't be upset right now to go see my family anyway. But, um, I was on my exit physical when my, uh, agent texted me. She's like, unpack your bags. You're about to be signed to Washington. And they had a game that same day. So it was just like, it was just a whirlwind, like unpack, go right on the bus to another game with another team and learn how they play. So it was just, it was a crazy. And then having two games after that and then starting after two games I've been with them, I was just, I was so nervous. I was like, oh Jesus, like, I didn't know what was going to happen. How was I going to do? Because, and it was against Atlanta, most one of the athletic teams in the conference. And I was like, ugh. Like, this is this had to be the game. But it was awesome to, like, finally get my feet wet. And, you know, I finally relaxed and just did what I did. Because my coach, he uh, – former coach, uh, Coach Tebow, he um he was just like, Stella, you shoot the darn ball. Just shoot it. <laughs> like, you can't lose anything right now. And, you know, he just put that confidence into me and then my teammates too. So, yeah. yeah. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that game you had 25 was against the Phoenix Mercury, wasn't it? Uh, Atlanta. Oh, Atlanta. Okay, so so well, perfect segue to 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 this question about Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta obviously last year was at the forefront of a lot of you know conversation because obviously their owner Kelly Loeffler um has, has came out and spoke um out against the Black Lives Matter movement and obviously um eventually uh, a bunch of WNBA players you know basically rallied around um that Atlanta Dream team and 
you know, was able to get her to sell her share of the team. And eventually, mm -hmm. um, I actually, you know, was able to support Raphael Warnock, who at, at the time, a lot of people don't know this, but at the time that WNBA kind of got behind his campaign, he was only mm -hmm. uh, polling at 9%. And obviously, in the end, he ended up beating um, Kelly Loeffler, and she ended up losing her Tennessee to Raphael Warnock. Obviously, yeah. it was an honor of the Atlanta Dreams. I mean, just what was that whole full circle moment like, just being a part of that movement in the bubble and being able to affect real change, you know, from, you know, an athletic kind of movement um, in the bubble? Um, it was just crazy because, you know, the climate at that time was just like, it was so tense all the time, you know. Um, the whole bubble was talking about it. Like, every day it was talked about on TV, it was talked about on social media, it was talked about. And surprisingly, we finally had a voice. Like, we always had a voice, but, like, that year we really had one. And I think we were one of the people that spoke up about everything that was going on, and we wore shirts, and, you know, we did presentations before our games and commercials and stuff. So just being a part of that voice was, like, awesome that we could have that, you know, that turn of events that Warnock actually won. Um, you know, Atlanta stood by Warnock. Atlanta spoke up, was one of the first teams to speak up, and, bring it to our attention what happened and how we have another black man that wanted to support for us, uh, support the league and everything. So it was just amazing how the players stepped up. You know, a lot of people think like, you know, women basketball players are just going to play basketball. And, but we were one of the forefront people of athletes to actually make a change in, you know, in politics. So I thought that was just cool as a rookie to be a part of and take notes for later on how we can take over once those bet players are done taking over too. Yeah. Now I think, you know, for the WNBA bubble, you know, the NBA bubble, like I think that was unique because that was a time where the whole world was like on par. Like COVID was still fresh. There wasn't too many sports going on. All eyes were on the WNBA bubble and the NBA bubble. And um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, man. The WNBA was undoubtedly on the forefront of a lot of the stuff that was going on as far as the, you know, the, the social movements and things like that. When you look back on that time now, obviously, you know, the bubble is a thing of the past. Um, what will you take from that time, you know, from just um, a playing perspective, from being in the bubble, from the, all the protests and things like that? What do you take kind of back from that, obviously, a year later now? You kind of had time to reflect on it um, and kind of understand the magnitude of that moment. Um, it was just a turning point. I think it was never – it was never did before in, like, athlete ever but it was just you know being in the bubble being around athletes 24 7 and um just seeing how everyone does things so like you i was i live in a hotel there's these spots that you could live that i live in a hotel like you would just walk outside and there's a player doing interview on the social injustice so it was just we were around it a lot we heard it a lot and like you know we were the first ones to hear about it before it went public so just hearing about it and just learning how they worked through it I think on a business side too, how, you know, it might affect our numbers and the league or something like that, but just seeing how, you know, our voice can be something else than just, you know, in basketball, but on the, like the basketball side, just being a part like super dying frosty, like just seeing how they work, you know, you was walking the gym, you see them shooting. And I thought that was just crazy because and you see, see them on the court on TV or something like that. But it was just, amazing to be a part of you know legendary coaches hall of fame coaches hall of fame players and stuff but um it was just i liked it you know some people were like it was like torture to be in there but you know it kind of reminded me of college you know being on one campus and just being in a hotel room or dorm room and going to work out and then 
having the business side of social injustice too, like kind of going to class kind of, because we would go to like the lobby and meet up. So it was kind of like college to me, but it was, it was a great experience, I thought. <laughs> now kind of for those who might not know me, from a player perspective, you walk me through a regular day in the bubble, you know, what, what, what would that look like for you guys, you know, basketball wise, I mean, free time wise, I mean, what, what were you doing on, on a normal day um, in, 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 in that bubble? Um, so a lot of players do different things. Um, but for me, I would probably wake up, go eat. And depending on what time we had testing, we would test first or had practice first. And then if we had practice first, we had testing right after. Um, and then after that, you had a free day. <laughs> you literally, you can go to the pool. There was a golf course. I was out golf. So I would just either stay in my room or go to the pool. But in Florida, it was hot. It was too hot for me to be outside. But, um, you know, a lot of players hung out at the houses. Um, at the lodges and then they also had um beach day so you can just get on the bus and look to like a private beach if you signed up for it so it was like it was limited activities to do but you're around your teammates the whole time so you can hang out and have like games and stuff at the house and uh team dinners team breakfast and all that so it was fun um but it was just limited activities and i think that's what everyone didn't like like you couldn't do a lot of things um but yeah I like the pool the most because everyone was around there. You got to know everybody. So, any any cool uh, moments from the bubble running into? I know we actually had a um, at Quinnipiac. We have a, a journalist. Her name is um, Robin Brown, and she was in the in the bubble covering the Connecticut Sun. She was telling oh, us okay. how she, she ran into um, with Diane Taurasi when she was right. running or jogging outside or whatever. Do you have any <laughs> cool run-ins or any like full circle moments where it's like, dang, yo, like. That's yeah. Why you were in the bubble with all these, all these amazing players? Yeah. So, like, as I mentioned before, I was on Phoenix and we had a couple of Zoom calls. So, like, I got waved by them, but like, I saw a couple of them in the bubble and I would step on the elevator and process are there. She's like, How you doing, man? I was like, You remember me? Like, <laughs> I was like, That's awesome. And just having, like, just seeing, like, Tarasi on the elevator. Like, come on. You don't think you just wake up, like, half, half asleep still. Um, but, like, Brittany Grinder, she was like, what's up? How you doing? Like, everyone was so nice. And, like, everyone knows everyone. Like, even though you don't think, like, I come from Rider, I didn't think anyone was going to know who I was. They're like, hey, Stella, how you doing? Like, they're like, I remember that game. Like, you balled out. I was like, you were watching? Like, it's just crazy Yeah. to think that. And then uh, Megan Rapino, uh, she was at one of the games. I was like, is that her? And I took a picture with her right away. I was just like, <laughs> I have to take a picture. <laughs> I don't care if that's weird or anything. But, like, it was just crazy because I saw her jogging. And I'm like – and we were on the IMG campus, so it was a bunch of camps going on. I'm like, how are none of these soccer players recognizing that's Megan Rapinoe right there? So it was just crazy just to see her jogging and working out. And it's just the connections of, like, major athletes on campus. It was just crazy. Definitely. <laughs> well, sure, I'm definitely a huge, huge Megan Rapinoe fan. Diana <laughs> Taurasi fan. She, she was my favorite player. Growing up in WNBA, like my whole life, I've always loved Diane Taraji. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's super, super, super cool that you were able to play. I mean, but you actually you played with Tina Charles this year, obviously being in the organization. They had obviously Elaine Deladon, she's been playing this year. I mean, what's, what's that been like, just kind of playing with, with players like that uh, in, in Washington? Um, it's been amazing. You know, it's just seeing how they do everything every day. You know, it's like they come. It's like a job. And then they go home and do whatever they have to do because they also have other things on the side that they have to worry about. Like Tina had a movie premiere that she had to miss a game for. And I thought that was just amazing how she's like handling basketball and then going to the apartment and 
handling something else that's like beyond basketball too. So um, just seeing how she handles the stuff, how she prepares and like um, works on her body. You know, everyone thinks you could just wake up and go shoot to go to practice, but like you got to be there at like 8 a.m. for like a 12:30 practice, get treatment, stretch, lift, and then have practice. So it was just like watching her, watching Lena, um, how they get their bodies right for the season or just for that little workout we're about to do. Um, and that's what I had to learn from, you know, you go to lift, you show up like 20 minutes before and here you got to show up a lot, but like four hours before practice is to get everything in, get your body warm and ready. So that's like, that was a big adjustment from watching them and watching like even Natasha Cloud, Ariel Atkins, um, first time Olympian, um, how they work on their body. I thought that was just amazing. And it was just different from the bubble because we didn't have those resources. And now that you're at the arena, the facility, you got to see the trainer, you got to see the strength conditioning coach, and then you got to see the coaches and have film before practice. So it was just, it was, it was cool just to see how they did everything different. Yeah. I mean, and you mentioned that how like a lot of WMA players, you know, have different stuff going on. I think basketball players in general, man, I'm scrolling through Instagram last night and I'm seeing LeBron at the Space Jam premiere taking all these pictures. Um, I know an interesting dynamic that a lot of people don't understand with the WNBA is that a lot of you guys play basketball like year round. And I know like mm-hmm. when people think, you know, NBA, like, oh, you know, it's year round, but like now, nah, like you have the season and then you have the summer where guys don't play like a lot of players yeah. they go overseas and play during the normal basketball season because the WNBA is only played during the summer. Um, mm-hmm. Can I talk about that dynamic? Was that ever something that, that you kind of wanted to do uh, as far as like, you know, going overseas and like playing full year round, like, you know, but I guess also kind of shine some light on that as people who might not be familiar with it um, and kind of what that's like for a women's basketball player that's really legitimately in game mode, you know, full year, full year round. Yeah. Um, I would say it, it's tough. It is tough. Um, obviously for the older people, older players, they know how to handle it. They know how to negotiate the contract if they want a certain amount of days home before they go straight overseas. You know, younger players like me, if I finished out the seasons for the WNBA, I have to be there seven days right after my last game. So it's, you know, you play, what is it, 34 seasons? 44, 34 games. I forget how many it is. 38 games. And then you go seven days right into another season at another country. You don't know how many hours that is to travel there. And a lot of players play in Australia, China. That's a long flight. But just going straight overseas, I think that's just crazy. And I don't think we get a lot of props for that that we literally put our bodies through. We don't have the off-season training to get better. Like the NBA players, they can take a, a week off. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's okay. Um, um, sorry, so I was say. Yeah, but they – NBA players get to work on their game for about, what, three months before they get back into the gym with the players, their teammates. And then we just don't – like unless you're – you know, super Tarasi, you have, you have a chance to relax and because they earned that. They earned that to that point. But um, it's really hard because you're not used to going overseas, being away from the family, and you barely get to see your family as it is. You know, the WNB season is three, three months, four months, but overseas is literally eight months. <laughs> and then when you come back from overseas, you barely have any time to even go to training camp. So it's just – year round and that's why some players took COVID as a break yeah so but it's actually really hard on your body (laughs) 
I mean, they're talking really about you know players having off court interest and in, obviously Tina Charles and LeBron. I mean, do, what do you what do you kind of want to do? You know, off the court, do you have anything that you want to do outside of basketball? See, I've been trying to decide that, <laughs> and like I can't just play basketball the whole time and it was being in the gym and all that. But um, you know, I love fashion. I love uh, you know sneakers and stuff. So I want to get back into that and possibly get like you know a deal with somebody where I can, you know, like model or something like that. But I haven't really decided that, but I love um, going overseas and learning a new culture. So maybe just being a part of that and teaching kids English and because I love French too. So, but I don't know. I haven't really decided what I really want to do yet. Right. Now for you, man, I was like, you know, we like we mentioned earlier in the show, you know, you right away was your only D1 offer. You know, you got out the mud and kind of made it there. You know, you've been waived multiple times now in your WNBA career. For you, what is your mindset now, like kind of always having that chip on your shoulder and, you know, making the next thing happen? Obviously, like you mentioned just now, being waived by Chicago and then coming in the bubble and then being able to score 25 and play well, you know, um, for the Mystics. Now, you know, kind of what is your mindset? Obviously, WNBA is getting ready to go on to the um, Olympic breaks. You know, season is going to resume in August. Um, kind of what is your mindset now? How do you kind of keep moving forward? Obviously, because it's something that you've kind of been dealing with here with, from high school to college and now in the pros. Kind of um, where is your mindset at? And kind of how do you, you know, continue to move forward as far as, you know, your, your next step in, in your basketball career? Um, you know, just staying positive. You know, uh, it's not – well, my coach has said it's not personal. It's just a business. You know, WNBA is just a business. And that's it's – a, it's a money issue, I think, also with a lot of players nowadays because there's so much talent. If we had four more teams, it would be a so much better league. I mean, it's a great league as it is, but the expansion needs to happen. But, you know, being waived and being let go, even by Washington, I was just like, you know, like I'm used to it. It happened by Phoenix, it happened by Chicago. And I'm just like, I know I'll get my other opportunity if I just keep working, you know. And I didn't have the chance to go overseas this year because of injury. But know that I'll get better because it's my first time playing professionally and just adjusting to that new level of play. So it's just, you know, sticking with it. And not everyone gets their chance right away, like some people. So you just got to keep working no matter how long that takes. And, you know, that I already have my foot in the door. They know my name and just, just keep working. Now, long term, I mean, what are your goals for, for yourself? I mean, if you can look at yourself 10, 20 years down the line, what, what do you want to accomplish? How do you want people to remember Stella Johnson, you know, uh, 20 years from now? Oh, um, that's tough. Just probably that being a mid-major player, you know, I didn't come from Duke, UConn or anything, and I made it to that, made it to the league. And just knowing that if you work hard enough, to get somewhere that you'll actually get there, that you got to keep working, keep waking up early, doing the little things that you don't want to do. And I think that I want people to remember me that as that, um, just that player that kept working, even when there was no chance at all coming from a mid-major. And I think that a lot of people don't recognize that. And I think I just wouldn't be known to be one of those players to do that. For sure. Now, I definitely want to ask you this, Scott. I, I think you touched on a very important thing in your in your previous answer. Um, you talked about the WNBA and the growth of the league, and <clears throat> the WNBA has already come so far as you know from when mm-hmm. the league first started, um, gaining more awareness, players getting paid more. What do you think is the next step for the WNBA as a league to kind of continue to make that growth and continue to make that next step? Um, to be the league that we all know it, it needs to be, it can be. Um, we all know that the, the talent is there. You know, it's not about, you know, the, the product on the floor. But what do you think the league 
has to do to kind of continue to take that next step and grow um, just for, for viewers across the country? Yeah. I think it's just, you know, people didn't take a chance on us. I think they, they hear the WNBA, they automatically uh, think of a stereotype that's not particularly true about us. Um, yeah, our league is way different than the guys, you know. Um, we're growing a little slower than they did, but we're, I think we have a, the highest views so far this year ever. Um, but just people need to take a chance on us and give us a, like a chance and watch us and watch how we play watch how we uh, perform on and off the court, you know, not even with social injustice, but how we carry ourselves, how, you know, a lot of people think we're not, you know, stylish. And like you, you see now a lot of people in the tunnel fits. And I think that's what grew the NBA too, because how people were dressing off the court, they brought attention to on the court. So I think this expansion, you know, uh, can just help so much, you know, and uh, there's a lot of, you know, teams and other towns that want to uh, expand there and I think just giving a chance because you know there's a lot of fans in every city that would actually make the league grow and I think that's just what needs to happen sooner or later but it will happen soon that's for sure once we get more views and stuff. Well I think I think the, the league definitely has taken a huge huge step in the last you know 365 days uh, with mm-hmm. last year everything everything that, that's going on especially with uh, the rest of Soul, Cody Bryant's passing and everything that, that, that he mm-hmm. did in the game of basketball. I think this year, you, you've seen a lot more conversation, especially on social media, just going through my Twitter time, I'm just seeing more people talking about the WNBA and women's basketball. And so, yeah, I think the WNBA definitely um, is on the right path. And I can't wait to see, obviously, where, where the game goes. And I definitely do think that the league is going to be going to be growing uh, exponentially in, in the next few years as well. Mm-hmm. Me too. It's just starting to respect us. And I think it's going to grow. Especially in the next coming, upcoming years. Sure. Um, now we cannot let you go, man. Obviously, like you said, this is this is a mid-major podcast, but you know this is a, a Mac a Mac reunion right now, man. So <laughs> I gotta ask you, man. I gotta ask you. You know, over your 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 career in the Mac, man. Give me the top mm-hmm. five players that you that you list them up against. You know, during your time at Ryder in the Mac, against the players who kind of gave you the most trouble or who you look forward to playing against the most. Players? Players. Players. Okay. Can I name my own player? (laughs) (laughs) I guess there'll be one in there. Okay. Well, the first player I can think of is Amari. Um, When she came in from Rhode Island, I think we butted heads at first. You know, she was athletic, and we challenged each other in practice, and we actually, like, you know, went at it in practice. So I think I'll, I'll say Amari is one of the people that, like, you know, actually heightened my game in practice and challenged me because... She's, you know, defensive player of the year. She's known for her defense. So I think she was the first player that I was like, all right, I got you. And um, in the MAC, I would say uh, McClure because she was – she's tough. She was tough. Um, anybody on Quinnipiac, really. I think when you play Quinnipiac, you just got to be ready. <laughs> that is because Ryder and Quinnipiac always butt heads, you know, since my freshman year. Um, I'd say Rebecca Hand, uh, Alana. Fudge, I can't think of anyone else. <laughs> I got to think of the teams again. But I think those three players, I was just like, all right. Any, anybody on Quinnipiac, anybody on Maris, because, you know, everyone wanted to go at Maris and Quinnipiac's head every time, <laughs> um, being the leaders in the MAC. So, <laughs> now, but I think. I want to ask you, I mean, just 
looking watching those because me and Drew used to watch all their games. You know, just as, as fans, we go to all their games and stuff. But I mean, what about Quinnipiac? I guess made them so tough to beat. And what about I guess you know what about planning planning against them was so difficult because obviously watching them, he was like, all right, like they had a bunch of good players. But was there anything else specific that, that they did that made it kind of like that made them I guess so good? Obviously, they're so disciplined. You know, the coach like honed in on that, and I would, like I would watch some of their practice film how they, the coach would just talk about how the players would talk about how they would take it not more serious because a lot of players take it serious on every team, but how they were, like, disciplined and they would hold each other accountable. And I think that's what made them so good in my freshman year. Like, the older players would hold them accountable and the younger players would hold the seniors accountable. And the five and five out. I mean, come on. You think you had one team, they weren't doing well. Okay, here comes the next five. And they would, like, bless your behind. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we still had our starters and maybe one bench player that came on off the bench, and we were tired at that point. But um, they were just – they were deep, and they had always players that would come out and do their role. And I think that's what they did. They they accepted what their role was on the team, and not a lot of players, not a lot of teams do that in any league. So they, the point guard knew what to do, the shooting guard knew what to do, and then three, four, and five knew what to do. And they did it great. <laughs> they did it great, and that's why they won four years in a row. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Not for sure, man. I'm, I'm out here right now playing in Costa Rica, and uh, Aaron is playing on the girls' team. So I know she has uh, – I told her we were doing an interview with you, man. So she had she had one of the things to, to say about you as well, man. So the respect is definitely mutual, man. But it was definitely fun, you know, watching you guys play against each other and obviously watching you play in the MAC as well, man, over – uh, over your career, man. So it's definitely been, you know, amazing to get you back on, man. And, um, you know, we definitely wish you nothing but the best going forward. Thank and, you. And, man, you know, we know you're going to get back on your two feet in the league. And uh, we definitely have to, to, to do this again, man. Um, definitely, like definitely. I said, definitely, um, definitely huge fans of yours over here at All Facts Media. Thank you. Thank you so much. And sorry it took so long to do it, <laughs> too. But thank you for having me on. <laughs> Uh, no doubt, man. I got to say, man, Ace, man, yo, Stella was down in D.C., and she said she didn't have no mumbo sauce, man. That, that's a problem. That's a problem, man. Somebody somebody <laughs> out in D.C. was not – they weren't treating her right, Ace. Her ODs on the team weren't treating – is anybody on the Mystics from D.C.? Is anybody that's from here on the Mystics? I don't think so. No, everyone's from somewhere else. They from there, so they, they had, she had bad OGs, man. She didn't have nobody. <laughs> when you in D.C. next time, you got to go to – you got to get some mumble sauce. Go to your local okay. carryout. It could be a hole-in-the-wall carryout. Or okay. five-piece wings, fries, and mumble sauce. Or you can get a fried okay. rice. If you're a fried rice girl, you know what I'm saying, five wings, fried rice, mumble sauce. Look, you, look, okay. Your life. You change your life. And a half a half. Back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next time I'm down there, I definitely will do that. Say <laughs> no more. Um, we'll, we'll, again, you know, thank you for coming on. We want to remind all our viewers, make sure you guys are subscribing to this podcast. Make sure you guys are liking this podcast. Give us a rating. It definitely does go a long way. If you see this interview on social media, make sure you give it a retweet, a like. Tell a friend and tell a friend, man. Spread the good gospel of the auto bid, man. And we're going to let our guy pull up Tay. Take us out with some music, and until next time, it's another episode of the Auto Bid. Have a good week, folks. You beating on me? It's time to get a check, boy. You want the sideline? You ain't made the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. You beating on me? What's the topic of discussion? What we talking about? Take your best shot. I'ma take the last shot. I'm drawing in the clutch, boy.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.